welcome to the Enthusiast Podcast, where I sit down with leading founders, operators, and investors that are trailblazers in their ecosystems, leapfrogging development and creating growth for their economies. We dive into the nitty-gritty of scaling business and investing, showcasing the tremendous success cases beyond Silicon Valley. This is Pat from The Enthusiast, and you're in for a really special episode, which we just recorded one day before International Women's Day and the one-year anniversary of Ganas Ventures. I had such a pleasure to have Lolita Taub, solo GP of the fund on the show, to dive into her journey into venture, how she's making venture inevitably more diverse, and why she deeply cares about generational wealth and why community-driven business models can serve as a moat for startups as they scale. So much to unpack there. It was a fantastic conversation with Lolita. I wanted to do that one for a long time. So I uh, really enjoyed this and I hope you do as well. Without further ado, directly onto the episode with Lolita Taub, founding managing partner of Ganas. Remember, you can follow The Enthusiast wherever you're getting your podcasts and make sure to check out our newsletter on LinkedIn, Substack, or Medium. Now, onto the show. Hi, Lolita. It is such a pleasure having you on The Enthusiast podcast today. Thank you for having me. Oh, really, thanks for making the time. And I'm really excited to dive into the conversation. I mean, loads of stuff going on in the ecosystem, loads of stuff going on on your end with Ghana's. Um, but first off, I wanted to take a step back. How did you end up where you are today as a Latinx, if one can say this, VC investing in the Americas? You know, it, it was kind of random, but not random because I am Latina after all. It was 2017 and I had just graduated from my MBA at IE Business School in Spain. I had been working at a, an early stage fund out there and I was so excited because I broke into VC and I had to come back to the US and break into VC again. And I had this great opportunity to work with Backstage Capital. And while I was working with them, I got invited by the Ecuadorian Quito entrepreneur community to give this keynote about the opportunity there is in venture capital and to comment on the opportunity of, of what was happening in Latin America at the time and, and why I might be interested in investing in the, in the area. And so it set me on a journey of research. I realized that there is so much opportunity. The U.S. is right next door to Latin America, but not a lot of activity was happening then. Not enough. It's still not enough. But I realized, like, why are we next door to each other? So much opportunity, we're not doing anything. And as I started learning more, I said, I, I want to invest in Latin America one day. But of course, because venture capital funds have their thesis and they're regional at times, I wasn't able to really invest in the region until I became a scout for, for Lightspeed Partners. And when I did, I had the opportunity to start investing in the Latin American region. 
And then I decided as soon as I have my own fund, I'm going to go and invest in Latin America. And so Ghana's Ventures were investing in early stage community driven companies in the US and in Latin America. Fantastic. And we're definitely going to talk more about the thesis and, and what is behind it and why it's so important to have more collaboration between North America and Latin America. But before that, I want to take a step back. There's one topic that you're particularly passionate about, which is generational wealth. It's a big word and I would like to for us to unpack it a little bit. What do you understand by it? It can mean a lot of different things to different people. In its purest sense, generational wealth to me is you have enough money to cover your costs, the cost of your family, and enough to leave for another generation to come. Why is this important? Historically, Latinos, other minorities, we haven't had that opportunity to do that. Oftentimes, we have a hard time meeting bill requirements, right? Like paying our bills. And when you have an opportunity like venture capital, where it is high risk, high reward, where you're able to invest some money and it's able to multiply by so much more than a savings account that might give you a little bit of interest. There's such a huge opportunity in being able to allow our communities that haven't had this opportunity to, to build generational wealth for so many different reasons, right? Colonization, marginalization, all sorts of different things. You you open up the opportunity to say, hey, you can bet in an asset class that can produce multiples of what you put in. You could also lose it all, but there's there's a shot of you making it big, you making enough money to, again, the, the goal would be have enough to pay everything for everything you need, your family, and then have leftover to do whatever you want or to pass it on to the next generation. So that to me is really important. And it's really a huge part of why I decided to build and launch my own fund to be able to cater to our community, to be able to create that opportunity, create that new face of venture capital and investors along the way and create generational wealth and community. Definitely. And we're going to talk about the second piece as well, the community aspect in just a second. But I just wanted to emphasize what you just said there. I mean, our generation is not the same as our parents, grandparents' generations, where if they had decent jobs, they could save up, they could access a mortgage, they could access housing, right? And just by a simple financial products, attain a certain standard of wealth. I truly believe that nowadays, this is not possible anymore. And that's why we have to adjust the risk curve and have to move a little bit further out in order to get there, which certainly translates into more risk, right? And I guess immigrant communities are more used to taking certain risk because they've left their countries, right? And when I look at the Latinx community in the States, it's grown into major economic force to date. When we look at the GDP numbers, right, and it's it's amazing. But then we still have such a big ownership gap when we talk about Latinx businesses, when we talk about Latinx in venture. What are the fundamental reasons for this disconnect? What do you think? Well, a big one is bias, right? And the, the system has historically been homogeneously white and male, and it continues to be so. But as we start to see more investors from our community, we start to see more founders from our community getting backed too. And so I think that, you know, this is just reality. 
there's going to be the homogeneous status quo ecosystem and economy that we walk into. We are now in the U.S. majority minority, and it makes only sense that the way that we address these disparities in opportunity and being able to create generational wealth is to find ways to break into asset classes that allow us to build that kind of wealth. And when I think about what are the ways where you can really create an enormous amount of wealth in a short period of time in your own lifetime, VC is one of them. And it is because of the high risk. Now, you touched on something that I think is really interesting and important to call out because we need to be practical about the fact that, I mean, again, I was reading in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was yesterday, about how millennials are, I think, something like 34% poorer than previous generations at this point. And so when we talk about this optimistic, huge opportunity to create outsized returns and create generational wealth, we also have to be, I think, grounded in the fact that yes, that exists, high risk, high reward, but that it's important to understand where are we, whether you're a millennial or where are Gen Z, wherever you are in the spectrum, to be able to ask yourself, hey, where am I? Um, What do I need to pay my bills? What are my loans? What do I have uh, that extra capital to be able to invest in it? This is a luxury for many of us as founders and as funders that are Latinos. For me, it's so much about this magic word, ganas, which is why we also named ganas ventures, ganas ventures, because you have to have ganas to push through all of what I just shared and say, look, this is what history has been. Things are not perfect right now. Things are always going to be challenging, but we can choose to see where we're at, what we can do, and choose to see that there is opportunity. And with high risk comes high reward. But again, be honest and authentic with where you are in that spectrum. And that's different for everyone. That's totally right. And if we look at the US in particular, it has been built based on immigration It has been built on those communities. If you look at the most successful founders in the Valley, they usually have an immigrant background, not necessarily Latino. This is what we have to change, but it speaks for itself Like when we think about it, right? So maybe this segues perfectly into the thesis of Ghana's and how you bring all these different parts together, community aspect, the geographical aspect, right? How does that translate into the thesis of the fund? So through and through Ghana's Ventures, we're investing in and are ourselves a community-driven company. And we're looking at companies, as I mentioned, in the U.S. and Latin America. Because we are looking for community, we, we really need to think about what does community-driven mean when we are building our company, our firm, Ghana's Ventures, but also when we're looking at companies to invest in. And the way that we think about it is we need to have a DNA. What is our, our, our mission? What is our vision? Our vision is to create these, this generational wealth. Our mission is to do it through the power of community. We have certain values. And the biggest one, I think it really encompasses everything, is ganas, which for those that may not know what ganas means in Spanish, it is grit. It is persistence. You just keep at it. It also means winning, which is also something that we want to do. And we want to always have founders that aspire to do the same. So understand that. Understand the power of community. This is so important to us for both the founders that we're backing and the LPs that we're bringing on. So 
when we're fundraising, for example, we are having conversations with each of our investors or each of our future potential investors and identifying whether they align with our values in terms of, do you understand the power of serving the customer, of allowing them, you know, in our definition of community-driven, that customers identify as members of a community, that they have a space to create value and to kick off the marketing sales flywheel? Do they have an appreciation for this different lens in the market? Do they have an appreciation for also who we're backing? Our community is predominantly underestimated, underrepresented founders, Latinos, many of uh, most of our portfolio are Latinos out of our six companies. And so we want to make sure that we're values aligned. We want to make sure that they understand the power of community and why it is that community driven growth is going to create outsized returns relative to other companies. And for us, that means community ROI, our being for revenue. How does the community uh, help with revenue increasing it? Obviously, lowering CAC, customer acquisition costs, lifetime value. How is it helping with talent recruitment? Uh, how is it helping with, at the very beginning of, of, of building a product or service, how is it helping the company create the right product and service for their target audience? It sums it up perfectly. And that, that community piece, I think, is very interesting in particular because, I mean, we always talk about community in terms of social media aspect, and it has been kind of the buzzword, but how to break it down when we think about community-driven business models. What are some of the the metrics you would look at when, for instance, you analyze businesses that come into your deal flow and you are analyzing them based on their community drivenness? The community ROI formula, right? So ROI, which as I mentioned, our revenue, how, how is the community directly linked? How is it that the community is helping drive CAC down? So this means people are spreading the word for you, right? Lifetime value. Is there a loyalty being built in? by the community and thanks to the community. Do they have um, the ability to recruit top talent from the community that they've built? Are they uh, interviewing right their customer community to build their product and service? And do have they created like a little ecosystem? This could be on WhatsApp, this can be on Slack, this could be on Telegram. The medium doesn't necessarily matter as much as the engagement. So we're looking for that engagement. We're looking for there to be a space where others can connect with uh, with each other. And communities can look different at different companies. It could be, it could start in a newsletter. It could be a Facebook group. It could be different things. The, the point is not, I think the biggest thing is sometimes when we think about community, we think about a marketing campaign. And that's what we're not looking for. I think it might be even easier to say when we're looking at community-driven companies, one of the questions we ask ourselves, is this community, is this company actually community driven or is it just leveraging community as part of a marketing campaign? Community led growth is considering the how you're enabling that community around your business to help you grow. If it's just a one-off campaign, you're doing like an influencer campaign, or you have a lot of followers, but there's no engagement, there's no communication, that's that's not necessarily community-driven, although these could be aspects of a community-driven company. And so you really have to look at, is there a relationship? Every company has a community around them, but it is up to the founders to decide whether they want to identify it and enable it to help 
the company. And so I think that 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 makes it super clear. Like when you ask a fan, when I'm talking to founders and I say, okay, tell me about your, how you're approaching uh, being community driven. What, how are you working with your community? It's super easy to tell when it's like, well, we're, we're throwing this marketing stuff at them. That's, it has to be both ways. And then it's kind of a triangle, right? So you're the company, you're connecting with the customer, the customer in the community is in a community and the community is connecting with each other. And so these are some of the ways that that we're, we're assessing, not just the community driven metrics of community ROI, but also is it in its DNA community driven? That's very clear. And so it can be a moat, I guess. It absolutely is that. It absolutely is that. And and the reason why it's a moat, it's because when you build community, it's difficult to replicate it, right? You can't just one day say, oh, I saw this company. I saw, you know, let's talk about OpenAI and ChatGPT. Great example. Very timely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great example of community-driven, a community-driven company. Think about how they were like, look, Everyone's going to want to use ChatGPT. Why don't we let everyone use it for free and have them pass the word around? And that's going to help us be successful. Perfect example. Makes it really clear the power of communities. It's such a fascinating journey you had there. And I think it's just getting started, right? There's so much ahead, but you already make VC more diverse. How does that make you feel? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for asking me. So I was the first... GP to launch a fund on AngelList, a 506C venture capital fund. And I remember when they told me I was the first one, first Latina to launch this kind of fund. I was super excited. I was like, wow, I'm so cool. But then I thought we're in the 21st century. And I got pretty upset because although I felt cool for the microsecond, I also thought this isn't right. Because when you look at the numbers from a GP perspective, fund managers, right, uh, leading venture capital funds, or even the percentage of venture capital dollars going into the Latina and Latinx, Latin community, it's under 2%. There's literally less than 0.6% of Lolitas in the world, Latina GPs. And this is abysmal. And it's not just because we should have more inclusion and equality, which we still, we should absolutely have that. But it's also because we're a super economic force. We represent trillions of dollars in opportunity and we need to take the money that's being left on the table. And so we need to have more of us, more of us in the field. And, and that's actually one of the reasons why at Ghana's we are really trying to figure out how do we bring the community along? How do we develop the new generation of LPs, the new generation of VCs and investors? And, and we actually came out with the, the Ghana's Deal Partner Program last August, which is our scout program. So anyone, whether you're accredited or not, um, which is accreditation becomes a challenge to invest in funds, right? But how do we like find the loophole in that is having this program where you can be accredited, unaccredited. If you bring us deals that we we back, we give that scout or deal partner uh, unit economics in the deal so that they can build their track record and and hopefully, you know, be the next GP at the next fund. Yeah, so so powerful. And as you were saying, it's, it's abysmal. And it, uh, it, it's it's basically, it's it's also quite dumb to automatically exclude such a big segment of the population. It's like, you're selling 
into a niche basically and you're missing you know like 50 percent of the market you know it, it doesn't make any sense when we think about vc there's another barrier and you mentioned that briefly which is being accredited i wonder what's your your take on this there's been some discussion in the states that this might be lifted or that might be changed because it is a big barrier being an accredited investor in order to be able to play the VC game, right? And become an LP in those funds. And and your fund uh, also falls within that. Your, your investors have to be accredited. That's right. So to be an investor in Ghana's, you have to, by law, be an accredited investor. Especially when you're a 506C, that verification process is an extra step that we need to do and take. When you're a 506B fund, uh, if your LP tells you, I am accredited, you can take their word for it is what I've heard. Don't quote me. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer. Talk to your legal counsel to verify. Um, but for us, we need to verify every time. And it does become a barrier for folks to come in, which is again one of the reasons why we did the we we launched the Ghana's Deal Partner Program. And and actually our last deal came from one of our Ghana's deal partners, and, and we're really proud of that. In terms of my thoughts of whether we should have a, a definition change of accredited or if it should be banned completely. I don't know that banning it completely is necessary as much as that there needs to be more flexibility in it, because as I've mentioned uh, many times before in other conversations, it's it's not right that anyone can go buy gambling lotto ticket, but they cannot invest in a fund where you can make a significant amount of money. At the same time, I do understand that the SEC is trying to protect those that may really be at risk of being scammed or losing everything. And so I do appreciate that the SEC with the accreditation definition is trying to protect people, but that it needs to be uh, more flexible is is absolutely something that I truly believe in. Um, and, and now, I mean, we've made one step in that direction, which is if you take an assessment Make sure you you know you know your financial stuff, then you can be accredited. But still, there's there's a big barrier there that that keeps a lot of the members in our community away. Absolutely, especially when we want to push for making the community of LPs also more diverse. It goes both ways, and I think having some kind of assessment makes a lot of sense. And there should also be something like that for gambling, probably. So I mean, uh, this is this is perfect, um, and it segues nicely in, into my next question, which is around the topic of fundraising for Ghana's. I mean, you're an emerging fund manager. It has been a little bit tough out there, one could say, macroeconomic-wise. How has it been fundraising within that current market environment? It's been turbulent. It's been turbulent for everyone. I think what, what we're seeing today is a lag of, of what COVID started the supply chain issues, the market, the public markets. And so what we've seen is public markets do something, it impacts growth stage venture capital. And now we're seeing it going to early stage. We're an early stage fund. And we're seeing the changes happen in the valuations of companies, in the terms of deals that are happening. These are actually positive on the investor side. But because there is so much shifting in the market, investors high net worth individuals in particular, are a little bit, you know, concerned, taking longer periods of time for, for their due diligence or to make a decision, or in some cases, writing smaller checks. 
When you talk about family offices, they may be relooking at their strategies, but they are still very much bullish in investing in, in funds. And then your institutionals, they're still trying to figure out what to do because the funds that they backed previously came back early for money because a couple of years ago, it was just like, you know, speed, speed, speed and spend, spend, spend. And so they're reassessing who they're going to continue to back, trying to figure out what they're going to do next and how they're going to adjust to the market. So there's a lot of shifts that are happening. And all of these are impacting uh, fund managers, founders, everyone involved. What I would say is this, we are in a business market cycle. Venture capital is a long-term horizon to look at, right? We just launched literally last year. And so that means that we're actually, in my opinion, in a better position to invest and create outsized returns than previous funds uh, because we're starting off with valuations uh, coming down with better terms and the ability to, to show what we've got over the next decade. And so I do believe, though, at the same time, that the founders that we do back, we need to be really thoughtful about where they can go. And in matters such as we don't know what the market's going to do. So for us, for example, we make sure that our our founders that we're backing are going to have that 24-month runway because they can be the best companies but we don't we don't have control over what the markets happen and so we're betting on the best founders we're really excited to go out there we're fundraising and deploying so if you're interested in talking more about Ghana's ventures let me know or pitch us at ghana's.bc great shout out there and yeah you definitely hit the nail on on the head there i mean i think it's going to be an amazing vintage if you have a fund set up you you can start investing and have a bit of diversification uh, along the the overall uh, next few few years, I think it's gonna be there's gonna be amazing returns out there. There's gonna be resilient founders, right? That that make it through. So with Ghana's, with Ghana's especially, yeah, absolutely. If you don't have Ghana's, uh, what what are you doing, right? So this is great. Uh, what do you think? Kind of uh, some lessons learned on your end for other emerging fund managers. Anything that you would suggest? for them when they are starting to build their LP relationships? One of the things that I've learned is that building a fund and being part of one is very different. And what I mean by this is if even before talking to the LPs, if you're thinking, hey, let me go on to fund, understand the operations portion of it. Understand that it is you you are creating a company and there's a back office. Being lean in this market is especially important. We've been very fortunate because we have been very lean. Uh, but there are funds out there that uh, they were targeting 100 million and now they're at 7 million raised. And they've, you know, recruited an entire team they cannot afford. And so it's really important, first of all, future fund managers to consider operational costs, being conservative, doing the things that we're telling our founders, right? Be scrappy, make sure you're being lean, think about what you need and what you don't need to do and what you need to spend on and what you don't. And when you're thinking about your thesis, really think about why is this the time for this thesis? Why are you the right fund manager or the right team? Again, very similar to to startups, right? Why are you the right team to pursue this thesis? 
And on that note, one of the biggest things that I've learned in, in having conversations with LPs and, and when they choose to, to join and we invite them as Ghana's LP family members, one of the things that we've heard through and through is you are your thesis. You know, we can clearly see that Ghana's, what Ghana's is putting out there is what the team is made out of. And that's really important because at the end of the day, when investors, LPs are investing in a fund, they want to know, A, what they're investing in, who they're investing in, and that they're going to have the discipline and the ability to execute on the fund's thesis and have the optimized opportunity and runway to, to create these outsides returns. And so a lot of, a lot of things out there, but what I would say is definitely be in sync with your thesis. The other thing is fundraising is a sales cycle. So CRM is really important. Making sure you're transparent and, and communicative and follow up is, is really important as well. Perfect. Lessons learned there and, and advice uh, on the operational side, definitely have a CRM. I can certainly vouch for that. And as you were saying, just being consistent in, in your storytelling and prudent in your expenses, uh, just as any startup. Uh, um, absolutely. Take your own Kool-Aid, I would say. I think that nicely moves us into kind of the, the, the last piece of the conversation. What, what's next for the fund? Anything you can share with, with the audience? Well, we have a, an announcement tomorrow. It's very exciting. So stay tuned. We're celebrating our one-year anniversary. We're celebrating Women's International uh, Day. And we have we have an exclusive invite for the community. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but outside of that, we will continue to fundraise and to deploy into our community and go out to find the best founders in our community to back, aim for the generational wealth and and ultimately change the status quo and the narrative of who gets to invest into whom in this VC startup ecosystem. Amazing note to end up on. But be before we close, there's three questions I'm asking in a fast speed round. Are you ready for those three questions? I'm ready. All right. So first one is, Who's an entrepreneur you admire and why? I actually really like Selena Gomez because... Interesting. She was like my teenage crush. Really? Well, okay, Selena Gomez, why? Well, because she is an entrepreneur through and through. She's a Latina powerhouse. And when she builds community and she's building companies and vice versa, she has two, two startups. And if you think about what, what she stands for in terms of values, you can see it through and through. And it's all about being community driven. So I love, I love uh, Selena Gomez. Great example. Could not have thought of that one. Fantastic. Love it. Second one, in one phrase, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received and would like to pass on to others? Echale ganas. Great. For the non-Spanish speakers out there, uh, give it all. Give it your all. Bring it. <laughs> Fantastic. Last but not least, three keywords that describe a successful business, in your opinion. Oh, this one's interesting. I would say innovation, differentiation, and execution. Perfect. Certainly three keywords that are truly important for any business. This is great. Anything else you would like to share before we close? No, just thank you so much for having me. And if you want to learn more about us, follow along at ganas.vc. All right. Perfect. Definitely make sure to follow Lolita on uh, Ganas, on her newsletter, on Twitter. She's really out there. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for making the time, Lolita. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for listening to The Enthusiast Podcast. 
make sure to subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts to always stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you enjoy the work we are doing, drop us a review or give us a rating. This show is produced by me, Patrick Alex. Also a big shout out to Constanze Ulreich, who is leading our newsletter efforts and much more. Title music by a stock studio called That Funk Show. <laughs>